0: Uh, morning, lovely to see you here uh, this morning and uh, thanks Julian for reading those verses out. I, I love the fact that when Julian messaged me asking me what are the verses he said I need the time to practice to get my intonation right. Did we believe his intonation was right there? It's pretty good wasn't it? Marvelous Julian, absolutely brilliant. You'll notice that this is a follow-on from the passage that we've been looking at the last uh, two or three weeks which is Jesus calling the first disciples and saying follow me and I will make you become fishes of men. And in the context of spending so much time in that verse, I was really curious to see what's the very first thing following that that Jesus did. What's going to be the thing that captures the imagination of the people around him, his followers, the disciples? in the first thing that he does and it's the story that we've just heard read out if you have your bibles do keep them open please on mark 1 21 to 29 now appropriately this sermon is called shut up and get out you think that's a bit rude because that's what jesus said to the demon shut up and get out leave this man alone So the first thing that Jesus did after calling the disciples by the Sea of Galilee was to take them to church. Well, not really church, synagogue, I suppose. And he wasn't there to say, I want you to take notes on my sermon or listen to my preaching prowess at all. I want to show you something else that is going on with how you catch people in your nets. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I want you to notice what Mark in this reading, doesn't say. And it's this. He doesn't tell us what Jesus taught. We just know that it was a message that had an authority that the scribes and Pharisees didn't have. But he doesn't say what the teaching was. Very interesting, isn't it? But he only records what happened afterwards. And the disciples, I think, I've worked out they're getting a kind of rocket fuel discipleship 101 in the fast lane at warp speed. Because it's not about what the teaching was, but about the person doing the teaching and who he is and what he is all about. Now, by way of introduction to the passage that we've just read, notice what had gone on before. You'll remember this from your years and years of Bible reading, I'm sure. Chapter 1 is really an introduction to the things that matter most. So, verses 1 to 8, Jesus is announced by John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Verses 9 to 11, Jesus is baptised, and we have the Father announcing the Son with the Spirit's presence as a dove resting upon the Son. And in 12 and 13, Jesus is in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. Mark gives no other details here about that temptation. Um, Luke does. And the first question that Satan asks Jesus is, if you are the Son of God. So again, it's an attack on his identity. If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to turn into bread and so on. So notice the flow of the verses, just to recap. John the Baptist confirms Jesus' identity using Old Testament references. The Father confirms Jesus' identity with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now, in the wilderness, Satan himself has a go at questioning the identity of Jesus. So, by the time Jesus calls his first disciples in, chapter, in verses 16 to 20, we, the reader, know who he is. We know he's the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one that Satan is gonna have a go at. He's the man that you must get if you don't want the gospel to be preached, if you don't want the kingdom of heaven to come, if you don't want anything to do with what God is doing in the world, you've got to take out Christ. So we know who he is by the time he calls his first disciples. We are on the inside track here. But the disciples are on a really steep learning curve now. And it's the same for us, because even now for us, most or a lot, we can definitely say some of what we know about God isn't quite right. Because <laughs> we don't know 100%, do we? What's not quite right in what you believe about God? Have you worked that out yet? Because that would be your hindrance in your faith, that would be your stumbling stone. Your blind spot. We need to look at Jesus to see what kind of fight we are in. And this is precisely why Jesus takes them to church slash synagogue for the sake of argument. So Jesus takes them to the synagogue. The sermon was good. We've heard that he taught with authority and everyone was amazed We understand from some second century sources that Jesus even posted it on YouTube to bless others later on in the century. But we are in a spiritual warfare alert situation now. The demons know who Jesus is, but the disciples are yet to discover that, and so are the people in the synagogue. Now, think about this, though. There was a man with an unclean spirit there. Do you think that was his first visit to that synagogue? No, I don't either. He wasn't a first-timer there. He didn't fill out one of these on his first visit. By the way, if you're a first-time visitor, do fill out one of these, won't you? Um, He he wasn't a first-time visitor for sure. They knew who he was. They knew he was a troubled man. And they couldn't do anything about it. But something in Jesus stirred the demons in him. And we never, we never get to know the man's name. We don't even know what he thinks because he doesn't speak. The demons speak. And just in case you're wondering whether this still happens today, about five or six years ago, my father-in-law came home from lunch and we were visiting um, Rachel's parents. He came home from work and he was a prison chaplain. And um, And he said to me, can I tell you about a conversation I had today? And I was like, yeah, of course. I'd be rude to say no when I'm eating your food in your house. And he said, I went, uh, answered a call to a cell, and there was a guy there who opened the cell door, well, the cell door was opened, and he stood there, and there were these wicker signs and occult signs on the floor and on the walls and everything, and he had the usual sort of occultic tattoos uh, suggesting that something wasn't quite right with this gentleman, (laughs) And he said, "My father-in-law said he had seven conversations with seven voices that came out of this man's uh, um, mouth. The guy was possessed by demons in an obviously occultic way, and so my father-in-law prayed in that cell, completely trusting, knowing that this is a thing, especially in his line of ministry, and saw the guy delivered." But to hear those voices coming out of that one person, this stuff is real, church. Only most of the time it manifests itself in much more subtle, clever ways. So we are on spiritual warfare alert. Code red. So, the demons had seen who Jesus was, God from God, Light from light. True God from true God, as the creeds would use it. Because the demons see. This is one of the markers of of the Gospel of Mark, for example. In the first half of the Gospel, time and time again, it's not the people who see who Jesus is, it's the demons. It's the spiritual world. It's the principalities and powers. They see who Jesus is. It was they, not the man, that cried out in terror, in verse 24. I won't be able to get the intonation right that uh, Julian got so uh, right earlier. But the demon said, What do you want with us? Us. Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Can you imagine being one of his disciples who still smelt of fishnets? in the synagogue wondering what what is going on what are we witnessing who is this person question that we can ask is this how did they know where he was from how did they know that he lived in Nazareth they assume that Jesus has the power and authority to destroy them have you come to destroy us And for once, because demons and Satan himself are liars and murderers and cheaters, for once they tell the truth that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They see it. They see him. They see the truth of things, and they are petrified, absolutely petrified. So essentially, Jesus says to the demons... Shut up. Sorry, Iris, to look at you when I say that. Shut up and get out. Shut up and get out. How about having that as a church motto for next year? See what Jesus is doing? He's simply standing up to the principalities and powers. He's simply standing his ground like he did in the wilderness, like he did in the Jordan, like he did by the Sea of Galilee. He is simply standing his ground. Shut up and get out. He delivers the man. That's what the work of the kingdom is about, cleaning up and saving the world. Hallelujah. And most of us here today know this cleansing and healing and saving. Christ has redeemed us, has saved us, has cleaned us up, and has used us for his work and his ministry and his glory. That's the work of the kingdom. That is the work of the kingdom. But it's never easy because there's always a wilderness. Jordan Peterson says, when you escape from tyranny, you hit the desert before the promised land. Isn't that true? You always hit the desert before the promised land. Jesus is facing down our demons, the things that oppress us in this desert world of sin And brings in with it the kingdom of God and all its promises. It's because the demons are about control, possession, and destruction. They dehumanize that man in the synagogue. And most of us have not not encountered an experience like this. We won't have seen someone who is actually possessed... With the demonic. But this can take place in so many different shapes and sizes, so many different ways in our world today. Wasn't it uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters who has Satan saying, One of the greatest tricks of the modern age is to make people believe that I don't exist? That's what secularism does. It's like a, it's like a, a a program that's full of bugs in our culture. Because we haven't developed our principalities and warfare software yet, so much. But in many ways, we can so easily be possessed by prevailing ideas, the strength and power of culture, worldviews, ideologies, even theologies, ways to think about God, who he is, what he said, what he has done. And we, can know, we know it can happen en masse in the church too. If anyone knows their 1930s German church history, 99% of the church were hoodwinked by Hitler. So claiming to be filled with the Spirit won't take you any further out of the the, the brainwashing situation that's going on. Not one bit further. Would we have been so different in 1930s Germany? No. (laughs) Would we have been braver? Would we have been sharper in our spiritual discernment? No, I don't think we would have been. But by the grace of God, it wasn't us. I don't know who said this, but a person who tries to control other people is a product of themselves having no internal control of themselves. Control is an element of the demonic. And having no internal control of yourself sounds a lot like Mark 1.23. And so, for example, the controlling spirit is demonic. Have you ever wondered what is happening to this world? So delightfully brought out by Veronica's prayer and intercession for us. Crazy things happening in politics, in culture, in nations and in peoples. We are seriously in danger of being under the sway of unclean spirits ourselves because we're called to spiritual discernment and to warfare and to standing strong and to be clothed in the righteousness of christ and the armor of god what are we doing about this church we're in a fight One of the reasons why Doug Wilson, an American theologian and pastor, says that our culture, the Western culture, is demonizing the humans and humanizing the demons. When you consider that we're about six to 12 months behind American culture, And they have a massive problem with drag queens going into schools, reading to children. Are we going to see this for what it is? It's it's demonic. We know it's going on. This is the world we're in. This is the world our kids and grandkids are growing up in. How are we helping them to sharpen their sword? So this man in this passage is the first one that is set free by the Son of God. He is the first one caught in the net of the gospel. Follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you become fishers of men. And this is exactly what it looks like in the kingdom of God. Someone set free, delivered, rescued, healed. (laughs) This is what being a Christian is. so that we can be in relationship with God our Father who made us and loved us and called us into existence. And he's hauled this man from the depths of demonic dehumanization right to the surface, into the light, into the sun, into the fresh, clean air of the kingdom of God. This is what he's done. As I finish, I was thinking at this point, what might that look like in today's world? It might look a little bit like this. There was a man who was in discipleship training to be a monk. Anyone ever been in discipleship training to be a monk? He faced a whole series of questions. And was expected to answer them all. One question was this. There are three devils forever leading us into sin, boy. Would you be knowing their three names? (laughs) What would you say to that? Three devils leading us into sin. This young trainee monk said, The tongue in our mouth is such a devil. The eye in our heads is another, and the thoughts of our black hearts the third. Wow. Have you ever considered why the Bible talks so much about the tongue and our eyes and our hearts? (laughs) This is the power of Christ in the gospel to set us free from these things. If none of you have been beset by the sins of your eyes, your tongue or your heart, you're a better person than Jesus Christ, which makes me inclined not to trust you. (laughs) Because when Jesus casts out what is unclean in us, he then can use us more effectively for his kingdom, for his purposes, for his work. Which is what? It's everything about the kingdom. Nothing less, nothing less. And so to be a fisher of men, you must first be caught by Jesus Christ. Your sins will be forgiven upon repentance of sins. You can be delivered from possession or habitual sinful patterns. You can be set free from the wounds of sin in your life. And Christ uses you despite all of these things. And many of us, if not most of us, can testify to this truth. Christ never gives up on you. It is more likely to be the other way around. In fact, it's not even more likely. It is the other way around, right? It's almost 100% guaranteed. It's going to be the other way around. So he's not done with you and he's not done with me yet. And the demons know who Jesus is. The question before us today, church, is do you know who Jesus is? Let's pray. Our Father, let us be found in Christ. Let us walk the path that he has walked, Lord. Let us know, Father, that it is the cross that carries us before we carry our cross. That, Lord, it is a far more difficult task to redeem a broken, fallen world than it is to create a perfect world. And so, Father, I pray that you would sink the truth of your word deep into our hearts, that we would know who we belong to, what we are about, who we are, where we're going, that we would live in the beauty of forgiveness of sins. So, Lord, open our eyes to the spiritual realities all around us. Give us the strength and courage, Lord, to be more intentional with understanding the fight that we are in. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Let us not be counted among those who are blind and cowardly. We offer this to you, Lord, for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.